Okay, Boker Tov, we're going to hopefully be finishing up the second parak in Moed Katan. And the Mishnah mentioned the idea, we'll just repeat what the Mishnah said, that it said people who are selling fruits, clothing, and utensils can sell it discreetly if it's for Moed needs. And, and we also mentioned uh, other things are done discreetly for the Moed. And then Rabbi came along and said, Heim hechmiru alatzman. They were, uh, they were strict for themselves. And that line is what is going to be analyzed. So, <clears throat> they do it in private, all that. Rabbi says, they took a stringency upon themselves. So Morris is going to ask, what was he saying? The Gemara is trying to understand what was Rabiosi saying. Obviously, he's arguing on the opinion before, but what is he arguing? Is he arguing to be stricter or to be lenient? What does that mean? He says like this. Does it mean that when he's reflecting on those who sell, he says, the locha is you should sell discreetly. So is he saying, Hein hechmir al that itself was a stringency, that they would not work at all on Cholamoed. So what does that mean? He's saying, no, well, really, the workers themselves are more strict, <laughs> okay, okay, that they would not work at all on Cholamoed, not even discreetly. Or does it mean that they would do their work in private? In other words, does Rabiosi's stringency, he says they are doing stringency, is it, is it a more stringent view than the Tanakama, or is it a more lenient? So if the stringency was to refrain from work altogether, well, that clearly means a more stringent view, because the Tanakama said you could do it, but do it discreetly. So was Rabiosi saying, well, really, the workers shouldn't have worked at all, but if the stringency was to perform the work in private, but maybe it means it signifies a more lenient view, for it indicates that one is not obliged to perform the work privately. And we're saying, well, working privately is a stringency, but really you don't have to do it. So that was, we weren't sure what he meant in terms of stringency. The Tanakam, however, holds that one is obligated Okay, according to the first opinion, Rabbi Yosef is agreement with the Tanakam with regard to requiring privacy. According to the second, Rabbi Yosef disputes the Tanakam. He holds that the requirement to work in privacy is more stringency, not essential law. So what does he mean with that statement? So Gemara tells you very simple. Tashma, I'll show you a brysa where it clearly says what Rabbi Yosef says. R- paraphrasing almost identically what the Mishnah started with. People who sell fruit, clothing, and utensils can send them, sell them in private for the needs of the moid. Rabbi Yose says, The merchants of Tavera, they were strict in themselves. They would not sell their wares at all on Cholamoid. Period. So it's a much stricter view. And similar, trappers of animals, birds, and fish can trap them in private for the festival needs. No, he says, 
the trappers in Akko, they would be stringent themselves not to trap at all on Chol Hamoed. In other words, this was the practice of the fishermen of Tiberia. Okay, in other words, although they were permitted to trap fish covertly, but they took a stringency upon themselves and refrained from any fishing at all on Chol Hamoed. Now, look at this. Yerushalmi relates that Rav Ami cursed these fishermen. For their excessive piety diminished the joy of the vessel over the residents of Tiberia who wanted to have fish. So in other words, Rabiosi was saying they were they were taking a stringency upon themselves that are not necessary to not do it at all. Okay, we don't paskin like this stringency opinion. In other words, you can't be from on everybody else's cheshbon. You know, you, you want, so depend, de, again, depend how essential what you're providing is. This for the festival, so. That, so it depends. So let, let's let's give an example. Let's say you're um, a mom and pop grocery store, Jewish owned, and then you've got uh, Sobeys, and you're competing with Sobeys. <laughs> okay. So if you had closed down, it wouldn't be the end of the world. Everyone goes to Sobeys anyway. Okay, so that's, that's the issue. But if they're relying on you and you're the only one that can be there. So that's already an issue. Because on the one hand, you could say, listen, I don't want to work on Cholmoid. <laughs> Guys, you know, really, really, you shouldn't work on Cholmoid. I, but you are providing an important need for people. Okay, so that depends on how many people are in the marketplace and how many people are doing it. You know, let's say, let's say go to Eric's show, you go to the Shook. You got like 30 people selling the same thing, right? And a lot of them are not religious at all, okay? So a from guy could say, okay, I'm not going to work in the shuk. So the not from guy will get more business. Okay, that's, that's want to be stringent on that? Not a problem. But if you're in an area where all the merchants are very from, and they're all going to decide to close down completely, it's already a different story. Okay, that is that explanation. Now, the uh, Brysa now uh, continues another um, is Oh, no, it's continuing this idea. One, one more point to this. Doshishim betsina deshoshe chilka targis betisane. I'm going to explain what these are. People, these are types of grits, graves, whatever. So these four things, you can pound it privately. More is going to discuss what the difference is. Uh, you soak the kernels in grain, then you split them, whatever. You're preparing different types of kernels of grain. Rabbi Yossi Omer, he says, the ones who pounded in Sipurei, so they were strict to themselves, they wouldn't do it at all as well. So again, there were three examples, but clearly we understand what Rabbi Yossi was saying, and as Yerushalmi said, but to not approve of that stringency. Okay, now, we just mentioned these types of foods. What is this? Summer Abai, Abai says, Chilka means our chadalatarte, our wheat grits derived when the kernels are split one into two. You take a kernel 
and you smash it into two parts. Targis means you're taking the kernel and you're splitting the kernels into three. Obviously, it's going to be more refined, more uh, thin. Tisni is when you take chadala arba, you pound the kernels and they become four. Okay, uh, but they're all made out of wheat. Anyway, it seems to be a way of preparing the kernels to make your grits, etc., etc. Fine. That's what he explains. On the other hand, there's another opinion of what Chilka is. Kiyosar of Dimer of Dimi said, he, Omar, Kutna Kilta is not made of wheat, but it's made out of spelt. To make Chilka, one soaks the kernels of spelt in water and then removes the husks. So Rabdimi disputes Abai in two matters. He holds that Chilka is not wheat and the kernels are not split. Fine. It's just a discussion of what is done and what is allowed. And now the Moore is going to ask a question on Rabdimi's definition of that this is from the other material. So they ask a question. It says, Chilka, Targis, Tisni, Tmeim, Bechol Malkom. These pounded out things, if they come in contact with Tuma, they're Tume in all locations, both in cities and in villages. What's going on over here? Well, the Torah says, how does Tuma, how does food become susceptible to Tuma? Remember, food does not contract Tuma straight away. It has to be susceptible if one of the six liquids touch it, touches the food. If it has been moistened, then it can't buy, uh, it cannot contract tuma. Now, the quoting a Mishnah is saying a rule based in a brisa that says, the brisa discuss whether flour is generally regarded as susceptible to tuma and makes this contingent upon its place of origin. In other words, is flour susceptible to tuma? So, flour that originated in a village is generally unsusceptible for tuma, for villagers are not particular about the purity of their flour, and they don't bother to soak the grain in water to remove all the brain, the bran. Since the grain never comes to the contact of the water, the flour that is made from it is not susceptible to tuma. That's in the villages, but the city deal more refined. Flour reaching a city is generally susceptible to tuma, for the silly dwellers demand clean flour. That's where they grind the kernels, they invariably soak them to remove the bran. Since the grain was moistened with water, the flour is susceptible to tuma. Okay, fine. Now, the Mishnah draws a distinction between the law of flour and the law of chilka, targis, and tasani, the three things we mentioned in the previous brisa. These three types of grits cannot be produced except through soaking in water. Therefore, whether they originate in the villages or the cities, they're perforce susceptible to tuma. Accordingly, the Mishnah rules that in any location at all, chilka, targis, or tasani that come into contact with the source of tuma will become tame. Okay, so what do we see? That that is definitely something that is soaked. Now, bishlema, that's all good, Lamont Omer, to the one who explained before, abide Omer Chadalatarte Liplasala Arbo, the one who says that these are grits derived by splitting one into two or to three into four. Okay, so now, that's where the tummy in all place, the iskasha, they became susceptible because they were put in, there was some liquid over, they were soaked. Elaman Amar, who says, no, it's kunta. He says, it's spelt. So, why are they tummy in all place? 
Chilchot is in fact does not become tummy because it's not made of split kernels and thus does not require soaking. Right? It doesn't need soaking, then what's the problem? Holo iskasher. It can never be susceptible to tuma. So clearly chilka cannot be defined as spelt. The first one said, no, it's the, it's the wheat kernels that are pounded and they need to be soaked. The other one said, no, it's just spelt. It doesn't need to be soaked. So we see it's not like that. Our answer is no, we could say a little bit different. At certain times it is. Go to Mikalfon, see where the spelt is hold. And once it's hold, it's susceptible to tumult. In other words, there are two different types of these types. If you don't soak them in water, they can't be hold. So the right, so there's two different types of spelt products. One that's hold and one that's not hold. So he explains the first mish brisa is when they're not hold, and this one's talking where it is hold. Okay. And now the Gemara asks, uh, so okay, what's the source of the word chilka according to Rav Dimi? By my correlate chilka, why do they call hold spelled chilka? Now chilka, the root word of chilka is chaluf, means split. So according to Abaye, it's obvious because it's split one into two. Because of Dime, Chilka is not made of split kernels. So what's the origin of the name? Why is it called Chilka? It's not split, just spelt. That's just the Shokal Chilkio, because when the hulls are removed, they're rendered smooth. Chalak means smooth. Chalak can mean split, it can mean smooth. So when you remove the hulls, then it becomes smooth. Okay, good. So it's all just discussing this issue. But again, we're going to pack and ask a question on Rav Dimi's definition of its being of the spelt. So Mace they ask a different question. Hanoder, a guy makes a vow not to take any pleasure from the following. Min dogon from dogon, uh, which will explain what that is. Generally, it dogon is referred to one of the five species of grain. The name derives from the fact that after their harvest, these grains are stored in smooth piles, and in Hebrew that's called dagans, as in a granary. Okay? So therefore, if you vow not to benefit from this uh, types of harvested grains, so what is, what is also usur over here? So he says, usur af befol hamitzri avesh. You're forbidden even from dry Egyptian beans, for they too are classified as dogon. Okay, so you make a vow not to benefit. It's not just the classic five species of grain, but also dry Egyptian uh, beans. Umutar balach. However, he's permitted to eat fresh Egyptian beans because they're not stored in piles. See, dogon means it's grains that are stored in piles. So the five main grains are stored in piles. Now, dry uh, beans are stored in piles, but the ones that are fresh are not. Umutar, and what else is allowed? Beores, rice. Bechilka, vitargis, vitisni. Okay, you're allowed to have, those are permitted. Okay. And now the obvious question comes, be shleimah, this all good, Laman Domer, who says, chadalatarti, chadalatlasva, chadalatarbashapar, where you're pounding it into one, two, three, four, that is good, why, denafka lahomitaris, 
because they now have left the classification of Dogon. Because once the kernels are split, they're no longer stored in piles. That's why it's not called Dagan. Elaman Dharma Kunta, one who says it's spelled Dogemalye. It's exactly Dogon. So why are you going to say it's okay? So why should that be included in the vow? It's exactly one of the five grains. Gamora says, you're right, Kasha. This is a difficulty. So Ravdini's definition is seemingly incorrect. Okay? That was a question of how incorrect. It's incorrect completely, or maybe they could have an answer, but that is a problem with his interpretation. Okay, fine. Let's go to a different final thing, what is permitted on Cholamite or not. Rabuna Shara Lahu Lahanu Kruf Foyisaw Lamezel Azaboyne Kiwar Chayavishuka. Rafuna permitted certain spice merchants to go and sell their wares in the marketplace on Cholamoy in the news usual fashion. Why should that be different than anyone else? We will see. Asave Ravkahana. Ravkahana challenged that from a baisa that discusses selling on Cholamoy, and he says the following. It's a general rule about keeping your stores open on Cholamoy. We already said if it's necessary, our mission said it should be done somehow in a more discreet way. So it says, Chanus Psucha Listov. A shop that opens into a bench area. What does that mean? Bench areas are secluded squares set off at some distance from the public domain. Typically, such areas will be surrounded by benches on three or four sides and have a shop opening onto them. People would come to these squares to sit. And there'd be a store, but it's not the main drag. It's not the main area. So therefore, if you got your store open, and this is more of a discreet area, so poseach v'nol kedarka, you can open your doors and close them normal way. You don't have to do anything else. Because since it doesn't open directly to the public, you don't have to do it. It's already discreet by definition. But what if your store opens right into the main thoroughfare and everybody's passing by there? If it's Psukhal and Rishus Harabim, now you got to do something that shows it's not business as usual. Poseach achas v'noel achas. The owner may open up only one door but must close the other one to provide a certain measure of privacy. In those days, it was common to have stores have two doors. So he has to have some privacy by closing one of the doors. Or you're showing there's an irregularity, making a shinui, and they're saying, oh, why aren't both doors open? Because it's not a regular day, and therefore there's limited commerce. Okay, that is one idea. We're still not up to the question yet. The heir of Yom Tov What about the last day of uh, Erev, uh, of last day, Erev Shmini Atzeres. So last day of Cholomoy. So now it's been five days. Like, what do you want? People can't have food all week long. So now, Motzi Uma'atra Shukair Bepers Bishvil Kavid Yontov Ha'acharo. A shopkeeper brings out his wares and adorns the marketplace of the city with fruit in honor of the final festival day. In other words, it was common to give honor to Shmini Atzeres with lots of feasting that if we say that Shmini Atzeres is a, is a festival unto itself. So obviously when the guy sees all that, he's saying this is all for the purpose of the festival. Okay? Where you could do everything, like the full shebang, 
Why? Because it's mamish covet for the next day of the yantar. But that seems to be the only reason why. The more wants to deduce, mipnei covet yantar achmanin. I guess only because it's in honor of the last day of yantar we can do that. We're allowed to go full full blast. But shalom mipnei yantar yantar low. But if it's not in honor of the final day of the festival, you can't do that. So we see that selling a cholamite cannot be done publicly. Why do Rav Huna allow the spice merchants to sp- sell the wares in public? More answers, simple. Lokasha, when do we say there's a prohibition in When you're talking about fruits, that has to be done on privacy because people will often buy large quantities of fruit for a long time and we don't, that's not allowed, a cholamite. But we only could buy small quantities, so there's a reason to suspect we're going to think, ah, the guy is violating the law, so do it more discreetly. But tavlin, but spices, people generally only buy small quantities, and there everybody knows it's just for the festivals. I guess you have to know in those days what was the mores. Yeah, it seems opposite. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But that, that in those days, maybe, it, refrigeration, maybe. maybe bugs, who knows? Yeah. I don't know. Chidush Aaron writes that this permit is not limited to spices, but encompasses any product that is normally purchased in small quantities. It's obviously observer that such products are bought and sold for festival purposes. It's for this reason that Mordechai permits even professional fishermen to sell fish openly, for fish do not keep long. In no way you could buy, we're not talking about frozen fish from Costco. Yeah. Talking about buying fish it's from fish. the fish market, yeah. fish ain't gonna last more than a day, yeah. and therefore uh, that is allowed. And that is the conclusion of this parak. So we still got five minutes. So had what did I just do? Hadran Allah Mishahafach. So we finished that uh, parak. So now we're moving on to the third parak, which is called. So already said that in the last parak, we're allowed to do certain work permitted for the sake of Cholamoid. Okay? Now we're going to get to more basic things like haircutting, laundering, etc. that are not allowed to be done and we'll see why you're not allowed to do that as well. We're shifting the things instead of work per se. We're now dealing more with more hygiene types of things, okay? And a similar idea, just like we said, people couldn't do certain things before Yontif, certain work, and that now brings a financial loss, and now you're allowed to do it. So similar concept, well, other things that should have been done, as we'll see. You're supposed to take a haircut before Yontif. You're supposed to wash your clothes before Yontif. All of these things that should be done so now, so the Mish is starting from the default, knowing that you can't do it, so it's not telling you the exceptions of who can. And these are the people that can cut their hair on Cholomoid. is going to obviously ask him very soon. But the default is you can't cut your hair on Cholomoid. And, and why? Because you should cut your hair before Cholomoid. But what if there are circumstances beyond your control that you could not cut your hair before cholamoid? So we'll allow you to cut your hair on cholamoid. Same way we started the last parrot. So who is this? Someone came from overseas. He came from board on cholamoid or on the festival for whatever. And therefore, 
uh, and everyone knows it's common knowledge. Remember, the guy came from out of town, so uh, he couldn't do it beforehand, so he's allowed to get a haircut on Cholomoy. Or, Shiva, guy got out of captivity. Or, Vayotzim, he got out of jail. Or, Vamanuda, someone who was excommunicated from the rabbis, for whatever reason, they excommunicated him, and uh, and therefore, but when you are excommunicated, you're going to see that uh, you can't take a haircut and things like this. And the excommunication ended on Cholamayim. Let's say they made a time for thirty days, whatever. So he wasn't able to do that either. Let's say a guy made a vow: I'm not going to get, going to cut my hair. Made a vow. And then he wanted to rescind it, but couldn't find a rabbi to rescind it until Cholomite. Okay. Or how about a Nazar and a Mitzorah, Mitumasala Taraso? A Nazar is what let his hair grow, but what if he finishes, uh, let's say he became Tomei, and now he becomes Tor, he has to cut his hair. Halachically, he has to cut his hair. Same thing with a Mitzorah. And the time for that is on Cholomite. Okay, so there was no doing it before, so you can do it on Cholomite. So this all haircuts. The barbers were allowed to be there just in case? These so we'll talk about the barbers. Oh. Obviously, if he if he needs to, then the barber does that. So how is he going to know that I'm staying open, not open? You, you make an appointment. Ellie the barber. Ellie the barber. Okay. Now, what about laundering? These people can launder their clothing on Cholamoy. The default position being you cannot launder your clothing on Cholamoy. Many are the same ideas. The first five are the same completely. You came from overseas. You from captivity. Someone who came out of jail. A person who was excommunicated who was released from the ban. Just like when you have a band, so you can't uh, cut your hair, you can't wash your clothing either. Or, a guy made a vow, I don't want to wash my clothes. And he got it released. Now we add a couple other things. The other ones are because they get dirty so fast, You even if you wash it before Yontif, they're going to get dirty so much. You, you, you don't, you, you, let's, as you see, the, these examples are hand towels. These were napkins used to wipe the hands during meals. Now, they constantly get soiled. You can't prepare enough. Usually you have enough for a day or two. And now you soil them. So what are you going to do? Buy uh, uh, ten, ten, nap, 10 of them per person because you can't wash them? No, you can wash them because you, there's nothing you can do to avoid that. Like paper serviettes in other Yes. safarim. Yeah. And barber's clothes, mean, meaning just cloths, they drape sheets over the customers. So they got to be repeatedly washed so they can be laundered for the benefit of those who are allowed to get a haircut there. So it could be there's a lot of people. So that means they're open. Could be many people, right? So that's one meaning. And bath towels, same idea. Uh, also, Hazovim, the Hazovos, Vanidas, Vahayoldos, and these women uh, who experience all these things, so they have a lot of discharges, so they're going to soil their clothing a lot during these times. They're bleeding a lot, or whatever they're having coming out of them. 
so their clothes are soiled. And anyone who is going from a state of impurity to purity, and the garments are tame, and they need to get washed. This is all allowed. But everybody is usher. And that's going to be the question Gamora is going to ask now. Fishar Kalotov and everybody else, my time asurim, why are they not allowed to cut their hair or wash their clothes? That we'll talk about tomorrow. All right.